that. Thank you <laughs> for that restored memory. Amen. The wonderful thing when you start getting old and forgetting things is you're always meeting new people. And you can hide your own Easter eggs. And uh, it's, it's, it's great. Um, I had forgotten that. And I wasn't, I, I wasn't trying to pick on you. I honestly thought, you have to understand that the former pastor had done a lot of the wiring in this building. And it was creative wiring. And I was like, there's no way there could be electricity there. And he's like, and I honestly... You guys have worked with electrical wiring and stuff. I thought he had, I thought it was, it was a piece of stranded wire there, and that he had probably poked his finger on one of the strands of the wire and thought he was getting shot. That's really what I thought happened. And so I said, it cannot be any juice there. Just take that, pull it out, and he, and he reached up there and gets like, oh! I go, get off there. Get, get down. So I go up there with a meter. Huh. <laughs> There's juice there. And they had it, it was feeding back through some other fixture thing that it, it should not have been. I was like, okay, well, <clears throat> and I remember that when I went there, they said, yes, the former pastor would fix a lot of stuff around here, but we're not sure how it happened, but when you turn off the light switch in the bathroom, the toilets flush. And... <laughs> <clears throat> of course, that was a little bit of an exagger exaggeration, but, but I found out not much, not much of an exaggeration, and we're still undoing things today. But, uh, but I was thinking about uh, your shed out there, and I had a vision of what you need. I'm saying you need a concrete bunker. Oh, ho, ho. Yeah, you'd be the only church I know with a concrete bunker, except some of those snake handlers and stuff in the south. I'm sure they have bunkers, but man, you could have a concrete bunker and just dare them. It's like our building, our building was not built as a church building. Our building was built as an elementary school building back in the, I don't know, 40s, 50s, I don't even know how old it is, but the walls, the floors are all terrazzo. The walls are tile up, you know, about shoulder height. And above that, what, what's not tile is, is all concrete, lightweight concrete. Uh, and it's just like dare bus kids to come in there and tear it up. Just, just pound, pound on that as much as you want, and they can't make a mark on it. So uh, at any rate, they find ways to, to do things to it. But uh, I think you need a bunker. Just, just consider that, you know, just think about it. And I think you need a bunker. And you'd love to do something in concrete and put a facade on it and just watch them back into that baby <laughs> just on the, on the uh, security camera. Oh, but anyway, one of my favorite Pastor Reno stories, and I haven't told it here in a long, long time. Some of you are newer. And uh, Pastor Reno and myself, and, uh, and he was, uh, probably it was Brian Johnson, I'm assuming, were out, they were going out ice fishing, they invited me to go out ice fishing with them, and, and so I, I, you know, they were already out there, and I met them out at the lake, and drove out on the lake, and they got their, their vehicles out there, and they're all set up, and they've got some holes drilled in the ice, and, and, uh, and so 
I just pulled up out there, and they've already got it set up. And, you know, you just stand around on the ice, eat, watch your tip-ups, and, you know, etc. cetera. And, uh, and I don't remember what the game was. I'm sure it was a college game. I think it might have been a national championship. I, I don't know. A uh, football game. And, and it was playing on the radio, and they were listening to it. And it was, uh, they were fixing food, and, and all this is all happening at once. And, and so it was uh, time to eat, and the game was just right down, right down to the wire. And it's like whichever team was behind, I mean, they just got the ball on their own, you know, way back by their end zone. I don't know, less than 10 yards, just way back. It's like, and there's two seconds left, something crazy like that. And so it's just like, okay, this game is over. So it's like, okay, we might as well pray. So Pastor Reno, he was uh, started to pray for the, the food. He said, Heavenly Father, thank you for this food, and thank you for, for the opportunity to be out here. And you can hear in the background the radio. It says, and he snaps the ball, and he drops back. And, uh, and then Pastor Reno's going, and, uh, and, uh, and, and he's like, and he's scrambling. He's scrambling around. He's got his receiver down the sideline. And Pastor Reno's going, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and he throws a ball. It's a Hail Mary. And, uh, and, uh, and he caught the ball. He's on the 10. He's on the 5. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and he scored. That's the wins the championship. <laughs> and he finished praying. I said, that was the worst display of cardinality I think I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, it was funny. Oh, anyway. <coughs> but uh, all, it's, it's great to have stories. You don't have to make them up. They're true. <laughs> uh, but anyway, well, we do appreciate having the opportunity to be here. We do not see each other enough. And uh, Pastor Reno, when, uh, when they get back to our town, they're busy, busy with family. They're both, uh, both he and Sister Reno are from our area. And so they are you know, very busy with family and events and things like that. And so when they're there, we don't get to fellowship as much as we'd like to. And so it is a blessing to get out uh, here to the West Coast and visit with you folks and preach and uh, get to visit with them. And we have really enjoyed our time fellowshipping with them. And I know the church foots the bill for revival meeting, etc. And let me thank you uh, for making this possible, for the, the, the beautiful facilities taking care of us and, and the, you know, weird lights under the bed and all, you know, all the stuff that goes along with it. Uh, but we have been so, so comfortable and so well taken care of. Thank you very much. Um, every time that it comes down to this, I have several messages that, I, that are on my heart. And, I, and let me just, uh, to introduce the message tonight, let me just say this. I, I, in trying to decide, and in that song we just sang, Nothing Between, what an important and powerful truth in that song that we want to have nothing between our soul and the Savior. Amen. And I hope that's your, really your desire. 
And I, I, I'm not the prophet. Uh, I'm not a prophet where I know people's minds or hearts. But I do believe that there are two groups of people in the room tonight. I believe that most uh, have claimed to know Christ as your Savior. And uh, that as best you know, you, you are saved and on your way to heaven. Um, but within that, there, I believe there are two groups of people. I think there are some... There are some uh, here tonight that really still um, need to be challenged to move off of the spot, to, um, to be challenged that there's more in the Christian life than you are experiencing. And I, and I do believe that. I believe there's a second group here that uh, are beginning to hunger and thirst after righteousness. That they sense that there's something that they're missing in the Christian life. And that they honestly are having a desire to know what that is. And to, to understand um, how to experience the presence of God in their life. To... Um, and I and I just maybe I'm wrong, but that's I believe there are those two groups, and and that's two different messages to preach. And to the one, to the first group, if I was going to just focus in on them tonight, and I believe God can do whatever He wants with any message. I believe that. I preached a message one time on the Bible in movies, and the bouncer from a local script club was in the service that night. And I found out he was there right before I preached and I argued with God for 25 minutes of testimony meeting. I'm looking at that guy and I'm looking at my, my outline on the Bible and the movies. And I'm like, this man don't need that. He needs a salvation message. I had four or five soul winners that the whole time we're having testimony meeting, they're just staring at that guy because they want to go. Because the guy stood up during testimony meeting and he says, I'm the bouncer at the cove. Cove's one of the, the toughest uh, strip joints in Superior. He said, I'm a bouncer to Cove. He said, what I see in people makes you just kind of give up. But he said, I've seen something here tonight that looks real. And he sat back down. This guy was tough. I mean, this guy was, he didn't have a mother. He had a, a brick mason. I mean, he was tough. He was big, man, shoulders, big. He had no neck. I mean, he had, he, just, he had no neck. It just went right from his shoulders to the top of his bald head. You know, ripples down the back like this. And just, I mean, just no movement in that guy. Uh, hey, man, how you doing? And I've got four or five soldiers just staring. They just want to go tackle him and go witness to him. like God said you preach what I told you to preach and I got up and I just I mean I I peeled varnish off the pulpit preaching against the movies and all the the worldliness and all the sin and and the things that we get so accustomed to through the entertainment that we uh, partake in etc and I just I mean I just didn't hold back and that guy was the first guy down the aisle. And the first thing he said 
to the soul winner. They were just fighting to get to him. They told me afterwards, the first thing that guy said was, because I was talking about the world, sin, immorality, uh, just everything. So the first thing the guy said was, everything that preacher said tonight was true. That is what's in the world. I didn't know it's exactly what he needed to hear. He needed somebody to say what was true. He trusted Jesus Christ that night. <laughs> Next week he moved away. That's the way it goes with me. I have no idea. What I'll see him in heaven, amen. But, so I do know this, that God can do whatever he wants with any message to preach. The Holy Spirit of God is active. We really want to hear from heaven. We will. The message I would preach tonight to that first crowd I've got with me is called Presumptuous Sins. And I think we are presumptuous in our sins. I think we do believe that we're just going to do what we want to do and eventually it'll just all work out and shake out in the end and, and we're careless about our life and I do believe that. But I think also that many times those that are tender to the things of God, we ignore them at the points of critical decision and influence and keep trying to hammer on the hardened ones. I see that in youth ministries, the kids that surrender to, to God and say, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. We say, man, praise the Lord, have a seat there and wait till you go off to college. And we keep catering to the ones that don't, that don't care about God. And I don't want to do that. To, to those that are tonight feeling like, I, I know there's something I'm missing. That's the ones I really want to focus on tonight, and I hope that's you. Have you ever felt like, you know, it's like the Bible has the answers, but they don't seem to be for me? You know, have you ever felt like, you see it working, you see Christianity working for everybody else? You see the other families? And it seems like they've got it all together and they have peace and joy and love in the home, but you can't find that recipe for you. You feel like, and I had people tell me, I had a guy tell me one time, he was a Bible college graduate and had pastored a church for a time and they were having struggles and he said this to me, he said, I know the Bible has the answers, it just doesn't have them for me. And I believe that sometimes we just need something to help us get that little, that little nudge, that little help to find the answer. And if you're here tonight and you hunger and thirst after righteousness, that's the one I want to try to help tonight. Be it one or all. John chapter number 21 John chapter 21. I feel fairly confident that many years ago I probably preached this message here. I don't have a record of it, but, but I've known some of you people for a very long time. I remember a meeting in the old school building before the merger of the two churches. I don't know that I've ever told the story about when I was preaching there and God spoke to my heart and about uh, Acts 24, 16. Did I tell that story here, Brother Reno? 
Herein do I exercise myself that I will always have confidence what is best for God for many. It was over 10 years before I told anybody. But I remember after the Reno's first came, they were beating, was it down in 10th or Des Moines uh, at a school building, you know, set it up, tear it down, set it up, tear it down kind of a situation. I remember standing in that school. It's like I, I, probably the cafeteria. I don't know where they set up, but uh, probably the cafeteria. And preaching in that, that open, air, open space area. And, and I remember, I don't remember what I was preaching about, but in that message was a, was a verse, Acts 24, 16. And the Bible says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And as I read the verse, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me. I didn't hear voices. I didn't get, don't get weird on me or, you know, didn't see lights in the skies or anything. But the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me. And I did what they tell you in homiletics class, don't do. I stopped preaching. I said, I want to read that verse again, Acts 24, 16. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. <coughs> and I stopped again. And I said to the people there, some of you were there. I know Sister Halfaday was there. I said, you know, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? If you could go even a 24-hour period and have a conscience that is clean before God who knows your heart and before men who are made in the image of God, to go 24 hours with a clean conscience, meaning not even thinking a negative thought about them, not even thinking a critical thing about them. And then I went on and preached. And I didn't say anything to anybody, not even my wife, I don't believe. And later on that night, as I was uh, in the Word of God, I, I went back to that verse. I spent time with the Lord, and I said, God, if you would help me, I would like to try to go 24 hours with a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And I set my mind and heart to do it the next day. And I work best with triggers. I, you know, you know, I need something to remind me, you know. And, you know, if I'm trying to memorize a verse, I'll write it out on three to five cards. And, and I'll put them on the refrigerator. And I won't open their fridge without reading it. That means I'm going to read it a lot. Back in the day, I was a glass installer, and I would travel 300 miles and put in auto glass and had one of those little coolers that held, um, you know, one of, uh, like a six-pack of Mountain Dews. Mountain Dews, was, uh, that was it in the day, was Mountain Dew. And then I got saved and became Dr. Pepper. But anyway, <laughs> Mountain Dews, and, and I put three by five card down on that, and every time I, I'd open that up for a Mountain Dew, I wouldn't, take, I wouldn't open the Mountain Dew without reading the card. Reading the, reading the verse. I say, well, that got you six times a day. No, no, no. That got me 12 times a day because the first six Mountain Dews were just for the trip out. But then I'd stop at a grocery store and buy another six-pack. That was for the trip back. And so I work with triggers. 
And so I asked the Lord to help me. I never even said anything to Pastor Reno. I said, tomorrow, at every transition, I, I wrote down the verse on a piece of paper and put it in my pocket. At every transition, meaning every time my phone rang, every time it's time to go walk to the table for dinner, every time it was time to leave to go to the church service, every time, whatever it was, so-and-so wants to talk to you, whatever it might be. Let's go to the office and sit down for a bit. That's the transition. And every transition that next day, I'd pull out that verse and I'd read Acts 24, 16. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. It was over 10 years before I mentioned that to anybody as an illustration of working to walk with God. From that moment on to this day, almost every time before I get up and preach, I quote that verse and I pray and say, God, help me preach the word of God with your power and with a, clear, a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Help me not to say anything that would be offensive to you and I don't want to be personally offensive to any person. And I prayed it just a few moments ago before walking up here. And I told that story to, as an illustration. And someone asked me after the service, did you make it? Did you go 24 hours? And I said this to them and I say it to you. I, 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 can't, I can't say absolutely because sometimes we don't know our own heart. But I said, I will tell you this. Not before and not since can I remember having a day where for a full day I was more aware of the presence of God. Because all day long I was being reminded from the Word of God. You know what that's called? It's called meditating on God's Word. And from that day many years ago, how many years ago did you move out of here? No, I wanted to, how many years? I want you to do the math. 21, thank you. I didn't want to have to start doing the math. 21 years. For the last 21 years, it has been my habit. I, my, it is my heart's desire that if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, that you get that little extra piece that you need tonight to make a beginning with God. In John 21, in John 21, beginning in verse number one, after these things showed, showed he, he, excuse me, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed him he showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, two other of his disciples and. Simon Peter says unto them, I go a fishing. They said unto him, We go also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. 
Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, he saw fire. Uh, they, excuse me. They saw fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee, whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he, excuse me, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter seeth him, seeing him, that's John, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they were written in every, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. I want to speak tonight on the subject, why the disciples did not recognize the Lord. When the Lord Jesus came down to the water, the Bible says Jesus stood on the shore in verse number 4. And the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. I think a lot of times Christians do not recognize the Lord walking in and out amongst them. We don't recognize what God is doing in our life. We don't recognize what God wants to do in our church. We don't recognize what God wants to do in our home. We sense that there's something missing. We see others that have joy and we don't have it, but we don't want to let on that we don't have it. So we smile and carry our Bible and 
sit up in church and sing in the choir and all those things, but we're missing something, and it's the presence of God. We're not aware of His presence. I'm not saying He's not there. I'm saying we're unaware of His presence. And they knew not that it was the Lord. And I want to preach tonight why we don't recognize the Lord in our life. Let me get right to it. Let me get to the reason, first of all, for the failure to recognize the Lord. Let me give you some thoughts for that. Number one, they were where they were, they were not under the Lord's direction. Peter said, I go fishing. They said, we'll go with you. But the Lord had not recommended they go fishing. A lot of times, we don't recognize the Lord because we're doing our own thing, living our own life. Let me ask you to answer a question in your own mind when you leave here tonight. Who decides where you go? The answer is often we do. We decide where we want to live. We decide where we want to work. We decide who we want to be with. We decide, we decide, we decide. And we go to church and we sing, oh, how I love Jesus. We sing, nearer my God to thee. But we don't mean the words. We're just reading them off a page. Harmonize if you can. But we're not really looking for the Lord. Not under the Lord's direction. Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you to be fishers of men. But that's not what they did. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Fishing was Peter's former occupation in life, right? So what was he really saying? I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to what I trust. I'm going back to what I am comfortable with. I'm going back to what I know I can do. So he doesn't need the Lord anymore. So he thought. You know, very often we come to church and we hear the principles of the Word of God, but we leave here and in our mind we think, I still have to do it. I was talking to a pastor friend today that called. He was talking to me, just some advice. He said, you know, I don't know what to do. He said, I mean, this, this, he's pastoring a little tiny church. He doesn't hardly get paid. As a matter of fact, for the first, I don't know, probably 10 years he was there, he never got paid anything from the church. He weren't selling fuller brushes. And he gets a little money now, but he said, I've been reading books on finances. And this guy's saying, you know, take your tithe, you know, give that to the Lord. Take another 10% and pay yourself. And he said, that sounds like a great idea. But he said, I don't see another 10%. And he said, the guy says, well, take it out of your food budget. He said, we don't have a food budget. He said, we haven't been to a grocery store in months. He said, once a week, a lady backs her vehicle up to our house and has leftover food pantry items. And they all get unloaded in our kitchen. And that's how we eat. You see, we don't know anything about that kind of living anymore because we think that we have to make it happen and we're going to make it work and, and all of that. And I'm not really trying to get into a discussion about, <coughs> about pastoring, etc. But I am saying this, that we have this mindset that, okay, 
faith is okay to get me to heaven, but I have to take care of me right now. And I understand, hey, a man that won't work, he ought not eat. I get that. That's not his problem. He's working. But we don't recognize the Lord because where we are, we're not really under his direction. We're not really being obedient to the Lord. And so when the Lord shows up, we don't recognize him. We don't see his hand. We don't recognize the Lord, number two, because we don't stay close to him. The Bible says in verse number four, when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on, what's it say, class? On the shore. Where are the disciples? In the boat. You see, if you're going to recognize the Lord in your life, you have to learn to stay close to him. You say, how do you stay close to him? By walking with him, by a relationship with him. How do you stay close to your spouse? By talking to her. Amen. Uh, I, I, my my uh, 87-year-old mom, she lives down with my brother down in northern Illinois. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's a eight, nine, nine-hour drive, I suppose, uh, down there one way. Uh, so 18 hours round trip to see my mom. And boys, it's hard to stay close. But what I do is at least every other day, I call her. I call her and I talk to her. I talk to her more than the people living in the house with her. Because I want to stay close to her. As long as my dad, before he went to be with the Lord, as long as he could carry on a conversation, I'd call him and talk to him. And it got to where just, I mean, it was very cursory, very, very, um, you know, not really impactful until, until as long as he could, I'd, I'd call him and we'd talk about, we, we'd talk about hyper-Calvinism and we would talk, we'd talk doctrine, amen. Now I call and talk to my mom about those things. She loves the Lord and wants to walk with God, and I believe she is walking with God. I, I don't want to brag too much on her. Last, last uh, I knew, unless she's changed something, she reads her Bible through, completely through at least twice a year for many, many years now. She'll ask me questions about the Bible, and I'll ask her questions about the Bible. And I'm staying close to her. You understand what I'm saying to you? We don't stay close to the Lord because we never talk to him. And I'm not talking about, you know, it's time to eat a meal. Now I lay me down to sleep. Park the car across the street. If it should roll before I wake, I pray the Lord, please pull the brake. And that's about our, the, the extent of our prayer life sometimes. But if we'll spend time with God in his word and spend time with God in prayer and talk to the Lord, his word is him talking to us. Prayer is us talking to him. Spend time with him and stay close to him. You'll start to recognize God in your life. We don't recognize the Lord because we are not under his direction. We don't recognize the Lord because we don't stay close. We don't recognize the Lord because we're not expecting him there. The reason I read the whole chapter was so we'd get all the pieces of the puzzle. And the Bible says in... Uh, in uh, well, I didn't write down the verse, but it's, it's in here, trust me. <laughs> you just read it, you'll see it in just a moment. The Bible says that this was the third time that he showed himself to them after he rose from the dead. This was the third time. And you look it up and see if I'm not telling you the truth. Every time 
they were, they were surprised. They were never looking for him. They never expected him. That's why some might have come every service this week and haven't seen the Lord yet because you haven't expected to see the Lord. I believe that those who come, and, I, and that's why one thing I, I was saying just before the service, it almost really doesn't matter what the message is. If somebody's hungering and thirsting for the things of God, they'll get something out of it. It almost doesn't matter where you read. If you really go to the Word of God expecting to hear from God, you'll find something there for your hungry heart. It's because you desire it, because you want it, because you expect it. I read an illustration one time about the California desert, that over the California desert flies a bird called the buzzard. And that buzzard flies over the California desert just looking for de dead things. Man, when a buzzard finds a dead thing, it's like it found, it's like it struck, you know, hit the lottery. You know, it's like, oh yeah, dead, something dead. And then I read that over the same California desert flies another kind of a bird, a hummingbird. That hummingbird feasts on the delicate flowers of the cactus plants. And that these two birds both fly over the same desert and they both find exactly what they're looking for. Do you get my meaning? If you come to church not expecting to hear from God, that's what will happen. But if you come in saying, I know God's going to speak to my heart. I know the word of God is going to give me some answer tonight. I know I'm going to get a little bit of help to help me walk with God. I believe that you'll find it. What is it that you came expecting tonight? I believe that number four, the fourth reason we don't recognize the Lord is because we're not willing to admit defeat. The Bible says in verse number 5, when Jesus said to them, children, have you any meat? They said unto him, no. No. What did Jesus do? You know, the worst thing when you're not catching fish is for another boat to get close enough to say, hey, you catching anything? I don't want to tell him no. No fisherman wants to say no. Why? Because you're admitting defeat. But what does Jesus do? Hey, you catching anything? What is that? That's pride. So let me do Jesus. Only not about catching fish. But let me get as pointed as Jesus. And ask you the question. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? You young people, how are you doing? I don't mean, hey, how you doing? I mean, how are you doing in your walk with God? Are you getting your prayers answered? Is God close to you? Do you feel like the word of God is relevant to you? Do you feel like there's, that you surrounded yourself with people that care enough about you, that love you and are praying for you and supportive of you and want to see you succeed in the Christian life. How are you doing? 
Jesus asks pointed questions. See if this sounds familiar. Hey, Adam! Hey, Adam! Hey, Adam! Adam! Where are you? Did he know where he was? Why did he ask him? Because Adam needed to say it. We're over here hiding. You're what? Hiding. Why are you hiding? You've never hid before when I come. Why are you hiding? Because we were naked. Who told you that? What was he trying to do? He's, getting, he's leading Adam to confession. And I don't mean the confession to a priest. I mean confessing our sin to God. How are you doing? Is your prayer life vibrant? Is your witnessing powerful? I tell you, this is the honest truth. My wife is more bold talking to complete strangers about the gospel than I am. She, she just has a very, well, number one, who can't like her? You know what I'm saying? But she just has a very casual way of approaching someone with a gospel track. She's far more bold about it than I am. Now, getting up in front of a group of people, maybe not so much, but, but I've seen her. I, see, I saw her on the way out of here. Just so easy. Sit down next to a complete stranger. Hey, see, you're in the military. Boy, you seem awful young. How old are you? 18 Sunday. 18 this Sunday or 19 this Sunday. Wow, what are you doing in the military? Ooh, a scout, Army Ranger Scout. Ooh. Well, that sounds dangerous. Sounds like you'll be right out in the thick of things. Sounds like you're going to be there before the rest of the troops get there, she said. And he said, they'll never see us. <laughs> she said, can I give you something to read? Has anybody ever given you one of these before? No, ma'am, what is that? It is a gospel track, and it has verses from the Bible that tell you how you can know for sure that you go to heaven She's far more bold about it with complete strangers than I am. She's sincere about wanting to give people an opportunity to know Jesus Christ. Why? Because she wants to be right with God, wants to walk with God, wants to see them get saved. Let me ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing? You see, as long as we're not willing to admit defeat, the Lord's up on the shore, 
we're out in the boat. No wonder we don't recognize him. And then let me say, Jesus, not only there's the reason for their failure to recognize him, there's the revelation. How did, God re how did Christ reveal himself to them? Let me quickly get through this. What's the, how did he reveal himself? Number one, he gave them direction. He said, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. And they did, and they did. You see, God reveals himself to us sometimes through his commands. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall be given to your bosom. You know what he's saying there? Do you know what he's saying there? Oh, he's saying he wants my money. No, he's saying, prove me. Give and see if I don't take care of you. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to reveal himself to you. That if we pray, <coughs> God will hear our prayers. You know what he's doing? He's trying to get close to you by saying, listen, call on, call on the Lord and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He's revealing himself through a command. We look at the Bible, the commands of the Bible as God telling us, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And it's not that. It's God trying to make himself known to us through his commands, that as we obey, we begin to see how God begins to work in our life. He gave them direction. Number two, he turned their failure into success. He turned their failure into success. You're sitting here saying, I'm failing as a husband, and I don't know what to do. Obey the command of God. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You say, well, what's she going to do? Quit worrying about what she's going to do. You be obedient to Christ and let him show you how he will take care of you, how he will uh, cause uh, his uh, grace to you will respond. And, and all of a sudden, when you start doing what God wants you to do, an amazing thing happens. You feel better about your walk with God. And you start finding yourself praying more. Why? Because it's your sin that's separated between you and God. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We know that. So therefore, we stop praying when we're not doing what we ought to do. When we're verbally abusive and unkind. What does the Bible say we're supposed to, that love is? Love is tender heart. Forgiving one another, patient, tender. These are the things that love is. You see, we're not those things when we're obeying the flesh. I'm saying to you, if you want to start seeing God, start obeying his commands because he's revealing himself to you through his commands. 
uh, he turned their failure into success. And God will start making your failures successes. And your family will turn around. If you allow God to work in your life, uh, your family will turn around. And those in your family will respond. Now, sometimes you have to just come clean with them and say, I've not been all I ought to be. But I've asked God to help me be better. I've asked God to cause me to love as I should love. Sometimes it takes coming clean. Number three, he closed the distance. He drew them to himself. Jesus, in verse 10, said, bring up the fish, which ye have now caught. He said, come on, come closer, come closer. Isn't that all through the scriptures where God is calling us, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And he said to the woman at the well, come, take of the water of life. He said to, he said to, uh, to, the, to the, uh, the, the uh, tax collector up in the tree, come down and I'm going to come to your house today. Jesus is always saying, come. He wants to close the distance. He wants to be close to you. I have to hurry on, number four. He renewed fellowship. Jesus said unto them, come and dine. This is the Baptist Bible verse right there, right? Come and dine. Jesus renewed fellowship with them. Come unto me, all you that labor heavy laden. He wants to renew that. And then number five, he met their needs. Then Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. He didn't need their fish. He said, come, bring up the fish. He let them participate. But he, when they came to land, what happened? He already had fish on the fire. He doesn't need what you have. But you need to be participating in what God is doing. You find that when you bring of what he's provided for you, he already has made preparation for you out of what you didn't bring. God loves you. I'm saying to you, if you want to be close to God, if you haven't been recognizing this, the, the, the presence of Christ in your life, it's because you're too far away. It's because uh, uh, you're not willing to admit defeat. It's because you're not under the Lord's direction. It's because you're not expecting him where you live. What we need to do is understand that God reveals himself through his directions, through meeting our needs, through renewed fellowship. And then let me give you the response and we're done. Three things. Here's, here's the key. I've tried to lay out tonight why there's distance between us and the Lord. I've tried to lay out that the Lord's desire is to draw us near. Do you believe that? Say amen. And if you're really tonight, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, here's what to do. All right? Number one, answer his questions. Answer his questions. Say, what do you mean? Well, what was his question? Look at verse 15. Simon, lovest thou me more than these? Do you love the Lord? Oh, yeah, who doesn't love the Lord? 
Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Of course we love you. Never mind that you just had to pull me off the lake because I said I'm going fishing because I wasn't expecting to see you here. No, 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 never mind that. Of course we love you. Simon, do you love me? It's interesting, and I don't really want to get too far into it. But the words underlying these words for love are not the same. When Jesus asks him, do you love me? He's asking, do you love me deeply? But that's not the last question. The last question is, do you at least like me? Do you at least like me? Peter was grieved. That's why Peter was grieved. Peter's grieved. Lord, you know, you know all things. You know, yes, he does, he does. He hears us saying, oh, how I love Jesus, but he also sees our heart. He sees what we read. He sees what we listen to. He, he knows all of those things. He knows where we're at, what happens when we go home and have preacher for dinner and he's not present. I mean, he's the main meal. That preacher. Did you see brother so-and-so? What is he thinking with that tie? We become very critical, but answer his question. In Mark 4, when Jesus was in the ship and the storm came up and they rowed to the extent of their ability and they woke up Jesus and they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're all perishing? Jesus asked them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Answer his question. Why don't we have more faith? Well, because we live in the nasty now and now. We live in a troubled world, you know. It's like the little poet, poet penned down. To live above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with those I know, now that's a different story. Answer his question. After feeding the 5,000, after feeding the 4,000, Jesus said to the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they said, is he, is he saying that because we didn't bring bread? And he says to them, how is it that you do not understand? How is it that you don't understand? Why don't you get it? Because we haven't been spending time with God. Because we're not uh, feasting on his word. And the wasteful steward in Luke 16 too, the Bible says, he calls the steward and says, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Hey, 
The first step in getting close to the Lord is answer his question. Where are you at? How are you doing? How's your prayer life? What's the last prayer you had answered? Was the last person that you gave a gospel tract to? What's the last? During, during COVID, one of the hardest things of COVID is I lost my barber. He's an 80-year-old guy. Couldn't have customers. He said, I'm not sticking around here. I can pay rent. I don't have any customers. So he, he closed up shop. I was depressed. I, I bartered eggs, chicken eggs, for haircuts. For probably 10 years, I take in a dozen eggs a week, and every third week, I got a haircut. And I lost my barber. So a few months goes by. I get my haircut here and there and just around, just wasn't happy with any of it. I'm driving, I just got my haircut, and I'm driving in front of the shop, and there's an open sign in the door. I said, he's back. So I man, I did a two wheels around the block. Slid up on the curb. And I'm sure I look like a crazy man. And I busted in the door. And here's this great big black fellow with gold chains all over him. The whole interior of the barbershop's been painted all black, floor to ceiling and the ceiling. Big flat screen TVs with MTV blasting everywhere. And a barber chair. Two barber chairs. And he's looking at me. Because I just busted in. My eyes are this big. And I'm like, I, thought, I think I just fell through a wormhole. <laughs> There's some kind of a time warp or something that's just happened. And he could tell I wasn't in the right place. And he said, you must be looking for the coin shop. That's next door. I said, well, actually, I was looking for my barber. He goes, that old dude, I think he's dead. He's not retired. He was really old. <coughs> I said, oh. I said, now you have the shop? He said, yeah, I'm Q. I said, Q? He said, yeah, I'm Q, Q the barber. I said, Q the barber. He said, you need a haircut? And I said, well, I just got one. But I said, um, I might be back. <laughs> so he gave me his card, Q the barber. He said, you can call me barbecue. I said, no, I cannot do that. <laughs> I, can't, I just, I can't, it's too close to barbecue. <laughs> I said, I just can't, I can't call you barbecue. <laughs> so I get out of there and I laugh myself silly in my truck. I get back to my church a couple of days later, and I'm telling all the guys in the church this, and they're cracking up. Oh, and he said, oh, and here next to him is the other barber. He's a skinny little white guy with a mohawk, the size of his head all shaved. This is rabbit. Okay, well, this is rabbit. Q and rabbit. I have definitely the twilight zone, you know, this, this is Pastor Wagon Shoots. He's trapped in the twilight zone. So I said, okay. So I'm telling the guys at the church this, and they're cracking up at me. And I said, you know, but the more I thought about it, I think I'm going to go back there. They said, you're going to what? I said, I think I'm going to go back there. Why would you do that? I said, because I've been witnessing that Catholic guy for all these years. 
here's somebody else to witness to. They said, yeah, but your hair. I go, <coughs> what's he going to do? So I look it up online. And he's got a haircut with a lineup. I didn't even know what that was. A beard trim with a lineup. This and that with a lineup. And I'm like, a lineup? I was like, okay, number on your chest. You're in the lineup. I, that's what I thought. I, I'm like, I have no idea what this is. I had to Google it. Old guy, right? YouTube University. Then I'll get all the way down this list. It says, old guy, old guy haircut. Kid you not, old guy haircut. I said, that's me. So I, I made an appointment. I went back. And I said, hey, you remember me? He said, I sure do. I said, okay, here's the deal, Q. I said, I really don't know that I am cool enough to have a barber named Q. I'm pretty sure I'm not. But I said, we'll give it a try. And I said, my wife will tell me whether I'm ever coming back. Because she has to look at me. And he goes, well, okay, that's, that's good. He says, get on. You know, so I got in the chair. And he said, um, so you from here? I said, yeah. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, what kind of church? I said, Baptist. I said, I'm John. John the Baptist. <laughs> True story. He starts laughing so hard. He was raised in Chicago by a stepdad with, uh, with the um, black Israelite movement that teach the white man is Satan. And he says, no, I don't believe that. But that's what I grew up as. And I began witnessing to him. And I witnessed to him, got my hair cut, witnessed to him. I said, hey, I want to leave you a gospel track. He said, he said, yeah, you can pin it right there on the, on the bulletin board. And so I pinned one on the bulletin board and gave him one. The next time I went back there, I went back and I said, listen, Q. I said, I really want to talk to you about the Lord. I said, so here's the deal. I know time is money. I said, instead of paying you for a haircut, I'm going to pay you for your time. And I said, now you start cutting, I'll start talking. And you cut until I'm done talking. And then, however much time I've used up, you just figure out what I owe you. And I'll gladly pay it. He goes, okay. So I started talking. I witnessed him for 45 minutes, uninterrupted. Haircut cost me 40 bucks. He, he did keep cutting. I almost had no hair left. He just kept cutting. He just kept cutting. He just kept cutting. And I don't mean this here. I mean none. You know, just almost none. You say, that's crazy. I felt like it was worth it to, get, to go through the plan of salvation with him. He's no longer there, but you know who's there? Rabbit. <laughs> so I go back and I get my hair cut by Rabbit. And Rabbit says, I said, Rabbit. Tell me about yourself. Well, I got 10 kids. 
I said, where do you raise 10 kids? He says, oh, I don't raise them. They're all over the city. Some of them are grandpa this, the grandma that, and all over. My wife's in prison, and she's getting out soon. We're trying to make a go of it. And I start witnessing to him. He says he knows the Lord, but he doesn't know my Lord. He's got a lot of negative Christian influences in his life. I'm not going to tell the whole story because it's getting late. But you know, the secret is I don't need anybody to cut my hair because my wife cut my hair for 30-some years. She can cut my hair. Why do you do it? Because i got a guy I'm witnessing to. And it's worth whatever it costs to get the haircut. To have an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with this guy, and I just keep going back. Sometimes I stop in and I say, hey, Rabbit, I don't need a haircut today. I just stopped to see how you're doing and let you know I've been praying for you. So my wife's, the last time I saw him, my wife's back in jail. She had a thing going on, a domestic abuse thing, and when they, the police come, somebody has to go to jail. And if I went to jail, we wouldn't have any money coming in for our daughter. And so she went to jail. She'd be in jail for a little while. And I get back, I'm going to try to go see her if she's still in there. Trying to help them. Why? Because I care about them. I want, I want God to do a miracle in their life. You say, have you ever seen anything? Listen, there's a family in our church, and I don't, I don't want to be too specific, but there's a family in our church that when they first visited our church, the family was a train wreck. I think you'd agree with that, Mrs. Wayne. She's right. The family was a train wreck. And they popped in for a couple of services and then couldn't find them with the FBI, find out they moved across town somewhere. You come across them and try to get them to come. They don't come, don't come. All of a sudden, a year later, here they pop in for a couple of services, and then they're gone again, find out that they moved to Duluth. And this takes a couple of three or four years. Finally, they moved down south of Duluth where, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, you know, an hour drive one way. He was driving home from work one day, listening to a message on his, on, in his car. He said, the Spirit of God brought me under such conviction. He said, I had to pull over. And I've, I know I've been saved for years, but he said, I also knew that I'd been running from God. And he said, I had to pull over. I couldn't even see to drive the car. And he said, God came in that car. And I broke down and I surrendered to him. And I cannot go back. When he did that, they started coming to church faithful. His wife was not happy. She became an enemy of our church, an enemy of us. She was on social media. We were a cult. She was telling all kinds of, of falsehoods that, you know, that uh, claiming that we're a cult and this and that. And family falling apart, and she took off, was downstate, gotten, I mean, just, just I can't even tell you, I, I won't tell you. The, the immorality and the things that we got involved with. And he came and he talked to me and I said, you just need to keep walking with God. 
and let God, you can't do anything about it, but God can. And he said, I'm just going to stay faithful. Just going to stay faithful. And eventually she came back home. Eventually she got right with God. And eventually God began to restore and heal the home. And now they're one of the most faithful families in our church. She's our nursery director. The two teenage girls both want to serve God with their lives. He's one of our assistant pastors. He's an he's a assistant pastor in charge of our prayer ministry. He's always saying, preacher, can we add another prayer meeting? Well, I don't know. <laughs> what are you going to say to that? Yeah. What happened? God beckoned him to come. And he surrendered. And he answered the question, how you doing? Do you love me? Do you love me? He obeyed his command. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus told him to do. When thou art converted, Peter, strengthen the brethren. And then lastly, lastly, he renewed his commitment. Peter said, what about John? Jesus says, what does that have to do with you? You might say, well, what about the pastor? What about the deacon? What about the Sunday school teacher? What about somebody else? What about them? Follow thou me. I believe this. I believe that there are a group of people, I don't know how many out of this crowd, that has gotten to the place this week where you're hungry for the things of God. You hunger and thirst after righteousness, but are on that edge of, what do I do now? And if you do nothing, all of that will just slide back off the plate into the distance. But if you tonight recognize Yes, this is exactly what needs to happen. God is revealing himself to you through his commands. God is drawing you close to him by saying, come and, and take of the water of life. Come and, and, uh, and see if, uh, uh, take, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Come, he's saying, come. And if you do that, you begin by simply answering his question, how you doing? I'm not doing very good, Lord. My prayer life isn't what it ought to be. I'm not the man or woman I ought to be. I'm not, I'm not in the word of God like I ought to be. I'm not faithful in God's house like I ought to be. I'm not doing very well. Then come. Obey his command. Put yourself in a place of obedience. Renew your commitment to God. And see if God does not make himself real to you. And I hope that there is a significant number of people tonight that is at the place where they want more in their walk with God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.